You're listening to Your Music, Your Business, a podcast helping you to explore the business behind your music. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming along and listening to this episode with Vienna. Um, Thank you so much, Vienna, for joining. I think it's worth prefacing to everybody that we are friends. Um, So, boy, will this podcast be hilarious. (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) The the, the worldwide abyss. Um, Well, to kick things off, um, I usually always start with how do you define what you do within the music industry? Um, It depends who I'm talking to, actually. So if I'm talking to other industry industry people I just say I'm a booking agent um, but if I'm talking to an artist I would say you know I'm a booking agent and people know what that means but then they also can get confused between what a manager and what a booking agent is and what the difference is so the way that I describe that is a manager is like a mum and a booking agent is sort of like the fun older brother so <laughs> <laughs> that's how I would define it <laughs> like sort of just organizes fun little trips for you to do <laughs> and you're just yeah like, yeah exactly <laughs> and then like you really want to do them because your older brother is saying you should do this yeah and and yeah. and you know that it's going to be good because the older brother actually has wisdom um to to, to know that it'll actually be good yeah <laughs> easy to <hope> so. <laughs> I love that I get band mum all the time and it's really interesting with the bands that I work with it's like usually the lead singer or something is band dad and then I'm band mum. And then um, when we gang up on the band, they're like, shit, the parents are coming after us. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's so funny because that's just such a classic dynamic in like a band with a few team members. But there's just, you can find that across the board in so many different bands, but it's like so different when it's um, a solo or a duo and then there's one team member. It's, I don't know. Sister to sister, maybe? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, bestie to bestie. It depends on how close you are, I think, um, and also how quickly that person, that um, artist tends to make decisions um, mm. because, yeah, I've worked as solo artists before and I'm, I end up taking some of the mother role on more so because I'm like, okay, I know you're creative, but you need to be, like, making some snappy decisions here. <laughs> We need to know in 24 hours, please and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. And you, um, so that everybody knows, you are the owner of Radar um, Artists. Is it yeah. Radar Artists or Radar Booking? What is it? Radar Artists. Um, yep. So uh, Jeremy Fox and I run that together. Um, but, yeah, I am, you know, the owner director we sort of still haven't settled on a term um that we want to be called uh because <laughs> we're still we started in 2019 obviously both of us had been at prior booking agencies and stuff before so we sort of knew what we were doing um but yeah we haven't really settled whether or not we want to be directors or ceos um how do you find working across different bands with different dynamics and different people and in some cases different cultures when they're internationally um let's just focus on the bands aspect I know teams is so much different um but how do, do you find it's it different working with like every band's different my first initial reaction would be um no because bands 
there's sort of like three ways you could go with a band. Like they're either wanting to be a career band or they're wanting to be a just play at a local pub or whatever, or they want to just be um, anywhere in between. But then actually when you get down to analysing each different band that you work with, the answer would 100% be yes because, um, you know, you have bands who are anywhere between two people to seven people and there are so many personalities within that and I'm also quite a large personality. So you have to really be able to manage expectations and stuff Mm. Um, and you also have to really be able to understand if they're asking something in a way that, you don't usually get asked, but, you know, you understand what they're asking. You need to speak back to them sort of in their own language yeah. and be as adaptable as you can because otherwise they're going to get a little bit withdrawn maybe or they're not going to be inspired or they're going to, you know, sort of be thinking, well, I don't actually know if I'm doing the right thing. So, you know, you want to keep reassuring them that like, hey, we're supporting your band. We want to work with you and we want to help you grow if that's what you want to do. Um, and yeah, it's just more case by case per person per band. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get band members who just don't want to deal with it. Like they don't want to do, they don't, they don't want to know the background of the booking. They don't want to know anything other than writing, recording and performing, mm-hmm. which is very easy because that's, you know, you say hi to them and you chat like mates, but they're not the main contact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and they're not the pe- people that you need to be, in in an essence, keeping happy. Because I imagine um, the, those sorts of bands have their teams that would just contact you directly. Do you find that that can also be its own sort of dynamic you need to sort out or, like, figure out? With the larger teams, like having yeah. managers and labels and things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say it's usually easier when it's um, with a team because you know that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You don't have to continually follow up, or you know, you would expect. Um, but, yeah, I guess having a larger team doesn't necessarily mean that um, the band is happy. Mm. And that's actually a really good point you make because I think a lot of people think, you know, the bigger my team is, the more um, people are going to be interested in working with me and um, also the more opportunities. And I think in a lot of ways that is true, um, but then also for bands to then feel satisfied and to feel like they're across everything, it's almost impossible. Um mm-hmm. And trying to manage a band's expectations through three other people that it has to, like hands that it has to go down before it even gets to them. Um, mm. it's, so, it's sort of like Chinese whispers where you just like, mm. it just got completely changed in the whole relay of conversation. Yeah. And you just, no one knows what anyone else is talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, I definitely find that even with my artists, when you're, you know, going PR to um, manager or, um, booking agent to manager it's sort of I part of my job at the end of the day sometimes is to take what somebody like our somebody from our team has said say PR agent is a really good example of this and probably take some bits out like the really harsh media <laughs> things mm-hmm. and um, all that sort of stuff and um, when I tell it to the band at, at certain times I think 
like obviously transparency is really key um, with any of my clients or for anybody really in any working relationship. But um, yeah, for from a manager's perspective, if like I know that they're recording their album right now and me telling them that, you know, they're not going to get that show or they're not going to get, um, you know, media, that then affects their whole creative process because we then start getting emo songs about how much they think their life sucks because they've just gotten some bad news, <laughs> which is completely I'm fair. Not, <laughs> I'm not opposed to emo, so I would say keep sending them negative reviews even if they're fake. Yeah. Um, don't actually do that. That's, hor- that's horrible. Uh, don't actually. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's funny, though, because, like, we joke about that, but that was literally all of last year, like, it, almost everything that my bands are creating now it's like you're gonna see when like you know they were really high in their you know COVID experience and then there were lows mm-hmm. and there was like when they were actually like literally high is when they wrote that song <laughs> like I got pitched yeah. I actually got pitched by one of my clients um saying oh yeah I think um we have this really strong song that we should use as a single it's about aliens and, and um abductions and I'm like <laughs> I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> so you want to promote that as a single that stands alone? I'm like, can't we just like squeeze it in on the album or something? <laughs> I think Blink-182 did it first as well when they said aliens exist. So if it's not a cover of that, I would be interested yeah. to see what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at least Blink-182 know how to like commit to it. I, I feel like mm-hmm. my band would just be like, yeah, so it's about aliens. Okay, bye now, guys. <laughs> 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 like we, we don't want to be stirring that pot too early hey <laughs> no and then you'll get a whole album about alien abductions and they'll just be like a conspiracy theory band and then you'll be like oh don't you want to work with this guy <laughs> yeah literally you're like how much of the conversation will it be about aliens i'm not sure <laughs> will we yeah, is it like 80 20 because if so not worth it <laughs> yeah oh god actually that leads me perfectly into my next question and that is my my question that I feel like everybody out there is going to be thinking um and hoping that I ask and that is what do you usually look for when you're scouting for a new client I'm sure you get it all the time um it's funny because I know that my approach isn't different to other people's in like a well I'm so different sort of vibe it's um I just know that I only have one approach that has worked time and time again and everything else I've tried, I've just sort of felt uninspired by the end of it and just sort of been like, nah, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, and literally it is I hear a band and in the first 15 seconds, if I am not really grabbed, then I sort of won't be interested. And like that's not to say that I won't keep digging into their sort of stuff but you know you send through an artist you send three songs you want to send as an artist you want to send industry people like your strongest most up-and-coming songs and you know sort of put your your best foot forward and um the the 15 second aspect of it is quite limiting Mm. but I know that you know I listen to the first 15 seconds, I get super, super excited and then I keep searching them and I get even more pumped. Mm. Or I listen to the first 15 seconds and I'm like, uh, it's okay. It's not really what I would want to be listening to as a fan. It's not really something that I necessarily would be really excited to wake up every morning and sort of be like, yes, I'll book you this show, this show, this show, whatever. 
um, and and sort of call promoters and festivals and venues and sort of kick and scream about you guys. Um, <laughs> but that also doesn't mean that it's a no if the first 15 seconds doesn't hit it for me. But I just know time and time again that has worked for me really well. Yeah. Do you find that like those bands that you've really felt like those 15 seconds were what got you over the line do you like do you feel like those are the bands that you you would go and kick and scream about um naturally without you know having to force it at all do you is that something you're finding yeah I think it is um just because I'm automatically a fan of the band um Mm. which is great but then you know you meet some bands and you love them as people and that's also super important so, you know, you want to work with people really at the end of the day that you love because music is ever changing and the direction of the artist is always going to be different per release and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I would say the 15 second thing is really, really great because I know I'm interested, mm. but then after I meet them and I meet them uh, over like a meeting in Zoom or in person or whatever, and if I really love them, then that's also something. Yeah, that's great. I think you make a really good point there of um, you not just needing to like the music as well um, and that it's like obviously the music is supposed to be what stands on its own, but I think we live in a climate now that the music just doesn't um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, we go into um, making clients relationships and things like that with the idea of that person's actually going to be easy to work with or I have a sense that that's just going to be so much harder than it needs to be um Mm. because those teams or those bands that just don't gel they're just not worth the time even though they might like they'd be so worth it in regards to how talented they are um Mm. and I think to um, expand that even more there's this huge um, other aspect of it now in regards to cancel culture and um, if you like genuinely are picking up that somebody is like just horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> and is the sort of person that is going to say something and get themselves in trouble why would you sign yourself up for that when you just know that they're going to get cancelled in like within the time that you're going to work with them anyway it's sort of like yeah exactly. it's, it's actually it cancel culture is such an interesting um topic that's probably got its own podcast episode to go <laughs> yeah we could it, dive into that for five hours <laughs> yeah exactly because it definitely I think has become so prominent that I find conversations that I have with my bands are like going oh we can't do that because we'll get cancelled or we might get cancelled or whatever it's going to be um but in regards to like new clients and seeing that straight off the bat, like you've got to actually like the people um, because also they're they're part of the brand, which then sells the music, which then makes your job a million times easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if they're crap people, then, you know, it could be the biggest hit in the world, but no one wants to work with them. Yeah. Even on like a live perspective, like, you have a band support another band, like say I have band A supporting band B and band A are really, really great guys, just amazing, but they don't have much of a team. But band B, who is the bigger band, have this massive team around them, but they're really, really awful guys. It's sort of like the team that are working around them are working with them because they are a great band, not great people. Mm. But then uh, band A is going to have 
a really horrible experience show-wise and they're going to tell all of their mates and they're going to tell maybe like future prospects of like managers or agents saying like hey we had a show with this band one time and they were actually like a little bit nasty to us we really if it's worth it we'll play with them again but if it's not worth it then we would like to not be included in pitches for them specifically and that happens time and time again and I think that's not just a, a an artist perspective I think it's also industry people mm-hmm. um but that is a whole other <laughs> kettle of fish <laughs> <laughs> you're completely completely right and I've even had that experience as well where like you know a band that I've worked with um has like opened a show been really flexible with the other bands and the the headline band and all that sort of thing for example and then somebody like something went missing um of the back line I think either before the the main band went on or afterwards and they went and accused my band of it they were opening they were like like we're barely like (laughs) I think the joke at the time was we're barely getting paid enough for it that would make sense but no (laughs) it's like we will cover our fee 10 times more yeah (laughs) um but yeah they got got accused of it and then they were just like what the hell like no we wouldn't and and I think part of the the bigger issue was they got accused they said no but they still weren't believed and then Mm the funny part about the whole story is somebody lifted up the curtain of like behind the stage bit where there should have just been a wall and mm-hmm. the, the kit was like literally behind that and we were just like did they get an apology no no apology oh, no nothing oh, so I would, have been upset. I would have been quite upset then, I would have sent a strongly worded email <laughs> yeah they were really livid and so they were like never again jazz we're not working with them and I'm like fair <laughs> where we'll just dodge that bullet (laughs) completely um so it it definitely does affect um how you go about shows and um also who you book next time I think the you and I are sort of like the really good gatekeepers of um uh, sorry you and I are really good examples of gatekeepers who would be making or breaking that sort of situation because you know if you hear that's you know such and such support has been not so good for your main support then you won't book them for another another band or something like that um is that have you ever had that yourself um yeah a few times I don't want to name names but it would be so much easier if I did um (laughs) I'm not going to because I don't want to have defamation etc um But yeah, it has happened a few times and it's just sort of a band I work with comes to me and says, hey, band B suck. We don't want to be associated with them. And I say, okay, like they give reasons and they explain and it's always, you know, different. Mm. Um, like it's not just me saying like, yeah, I believe exactly what you say, but, you know, I I trust the people that I'm working with to have um, good morals as well. Um, and on top of that, it's also like, well, if a band doesn't want to support a band, uh, for whatever reason, then they're going to say either no to the show or they're going to do the show, but they're going to, um, they're going to do the show in a really bad mood or they're just not going to give their best to it. And then that puts them in a bad position in future. So yeah, yeah, it's all, it's always more about the long game. (laughs) 
Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, the other side of that conversation is um, <clears throat> having people that have directly pissed you off. Like I've, I've had a band that I booked, we announced it, it got to like a month out of the show and they were like, oh, sorry, we like, because one person out of the band couldn't make it, um, they decided to like pull out. And I was <laughs> like, I'm like this person is replaceable. Like they, they're, like, they're not. There they're not in music. <laughs> it's like obviously I'm a little bit savage, and I'm just like, if they're not the lead singer, they can be replaced. But <laughs> obviously, you I mean, see how I'm technically not wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, at the end of the day, I think you know you've, you've got to be realistic, particularly with. Um, bands that are still trying to make it in any sort of way like they're not living off the money um that mm. you know the band makes um people have lives and people have jobs and they can't take off time to go touring or they can't do this that and the other mm. everybody has a backup um and you know even if you want to be extreme the lead singer can be replaced and there has been shows where you know another lead singer's jumped in for the show which i personally I don't know how I'd be as a patron seeing that. I'd just be like, I- I'm paying for that lead singer, not <laughs> this one. Um, yeah. But, you know, everybody is replaceable on the stage. And um, I always sort of say to my bands, it's sort of like, well, this is a really good opportunity. If one person can't do it, we're not just going to stop um, because of that. And yeah. Um, to go back to what my example was though I think that band did that and I was like well if that was my shoes I would have been trying to make something work trying to shift things around because for that band in my mind this show was a really great opportunity for them and really going to accelerate their career Mm. Um, and by them making that choice I was like I just don't know whether I want to offer you another show again because you know, it's something minor. Like they just, they backed out. It wasn't a day before, God forbid. Oh my God. <laughs> That's never happened to me before, but whoo, boy. <laughs> lucky. You are lucky. I would hate that situation. I'd be fuming. Um, but yeah, just, it makes you doubt their professionalism as a band and um, whether they'll actually show up for the next one you've got going on um, and whether they'll promote it enough or that sort of thing. Um, this is a bit of a hard one for you now, I'm sure, but um, what is a typical typical day for you, lockdown versus not lockdown? I know they're very different extremes from what we've talked about before. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I want to preface this by saying I'm a morning person so even in lockdowns I've still been waking up and like getting out of bed and whatever like anywhere between seven and eight at the latest um and then I always go for a walk every single morning to sort of make sure that you know I'm getting outside first of all that hasn't happened today I today was 7 a.m until now which is what seven um, I did go for a 15 minute walk though. So I did get to go outside, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, so wake up, go for a walk, get a coffee. Um, maybe if, uh, if Jay Fox is awake because he wakes up later than me, especially in lockdown, then chat to him while I'm on the walk. Um, and then come back, 
clear all of the inbots or at least as much as I can without having to refer to other people and call people and things like that. Um, and yeah, basically just emails and phone calls all day. Um, but also you have like meetings with people and then you do have, uh, strategies and we have, what we do is we have artists plans and we keep referring back to them and sort of being like, okay, well, how, how have they hit that? If they haven't hit that, why haven't they hit that? And obviously in COVID all that's just been blown completely out of proportion. Um, but yeah, I would say my personal routine inside and outside of COVID is pretty similar. Um, give or take like a few, you know, terrible days where I'm just like, I don't want to get out of bed because COVID is so depressing, mm. but I still do it because otherwise I'll feel worse. <laughs> and it's not the thing. You sort of just got to like, you know, you just got to keep rallying because otherwise yeah. it's just going to make you feel worse. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's great though, that you feel like you can keep your routine going um, through lockdown and that it's not too adversely affected. Obviously your section of the industry is a lot more severely affected in regards to where we are in a lockdown. Um, Some days are busier than others. Yes, it (laughs) upheaves everything and then you're just like, oh, I have to rebook multiple things for multiple times. Um, Yeah, that's just like bands have said to me a few times, and I think you have actually said this to me as well, sort of saying like, God, I, you know, I don't envy you. I can't believe, you know, you've had to reschedule this. I think the biggest I got was nine times. Um, but even before COVID, I had had to reschedule it to a seven times. So it's not, it wasn't new, but it's just annoying because everyone's doing it simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so bands and artists are sort of saying, um, you know, they don't envy an agent's position and, and things like that. But it's also sort of like, from my perspective, the only thing I can be doing is rebooking tours. And even though it gets a little bit, you know, disheartening because you're sort of booking in for a show for, you know, six months time and you're like, this is probably going to get pushed back again, but at least you've done the work and then you can revisit it the minute you need to. Um, So it's just like ticking boxes and stuff. So it's sort of just another day really, but I'm very excited for it to be normal <laughs> yeah and, and and knowing that there's a 95 percent chance that it will happen not won't <laughs> oh seriously 50 percent chance at this point <laughs> <laughs> especially with how quickly that they switch around um like mm-hmm. my one of my clients bad juju they've had a single launch show that we've rescheduled like three times mm-hmm. we've had they've had other supports <clears throat> that they've been announced on and it got pushed back or cancelled completely and I think in total they probably would have had like 10 to 15 different times that they probably would have played this year and they have not mm. played once be so upset I know they're like this live show is so good because I also haven't played in like two and a bit years um yeah. now and they're like the live show is so good we just can't wait for this to come out and we're now aiming for December um, like the second or third week of December, or it'll be the second, the third week is Christmas. Um, Very. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, God, I hope this works. Um, and, and part of that is because obviously we've invested so much time and energy into it. We don't want it to all go to waste. 
Um, the other part of that is also we're now con combining two single launches. So if we have to yeah. push that back to next year, it'll be like three single launches and it's going to be fucked. <laughs> um, I like, think that's common. And I also think that's a good strategy. You just, you're sort of like, oh, we released this track five months ago. We can't launch it. Everyone's heard it. You know, you got to merge them. I reckon that's a smart way to go. Yeah, exactly. Merge them all together. And then mm. um, the other aspect of it is I'm a little bit nervous if we can't do December because I know that venues are now having to book like six months to almost 12 months in advance because everybody's rescheduled and then everybody who also just wants fresh to come in they're trying to book as well and you know places like for us the local stay gold is like booked out six months in advance which which was like never heard of before COVID yeah it's yeah crazy. yeah like while we've been on the phone I got an email for a venue that's challenged me, challenged me for a date in May next in May 2022 and we're in October 2021 and it's like oh go away I know I know it's like please just stop but it's a challenge so you need to be making sure that you're like answering it straight away otherwise I'll just hand it over yeah I hope the um the first Australian agent who books a tour without getting challenged or rescheduled um in these times I mean you can get challenged whatever but like you get getting rescheduled makes like a massive post about it so everybody can see and like we can all congratulate them being like thank god you're the first one leading the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got back to it it's great <laughs> yeah seriously just so some funny. sort of hope at the end of the tunnel which actually brings me to one of my final few questions and that is in the next two years where do you feel like the music industry is going Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like from, from a booking perspective, obviously yeah, yeah. the landscape is going to change a lot in the next two years from what we currently see it as. I think, yeah, I don't know. It's quite a tough one because it's sort of like you want to think about it in terms of local shows, you want to think about it in terms of touring and you also want to think about it in terms of festivals and then international tours. So I would say... You know, there are a few international tours booked for, I, I would say, around March, Feb, March next year. I'm not confident that they will happen, but I'm confident that they'll be rescheduled to either the same time in 2023 just because that could be the, the cycle of the band. They've been they're touring everywhere else and that's the first time they can get back there or maybe push back into December 2022. Um, obviously, this is just based on what I think this isn't actually like government guided because they don't even know what's going to happen um and then in terms of festivals I mean like festivals are already happening but like for Victorian festivals New Year's Eve is going to be very tough mm. but I think you know WA festivals will be totally fine Tassie festivals will be totally fine Queensland's already got stuff going on New South Wales will force something to happen they're like very much they are just sick of being locked down they want to make sure they can do anything that they can um which is great um and then in terms of actual touring bands in Australia uh I would say it depends on the type of band because it depends on how much they're guided to tour financially if they're willing to make a loss, which obviously a lot of bands do naturally anyway, mm. if they're willing to make a loss and they just want to get out there, 
then, you know, obviously have a strategy and stuff behind that. But I think, you know, we were chatting to a band last night and they want to, they're from WA, they want to come over to the East Coast three times next year alone. So, you know, people are hungry to get out there. But I would say bands are super, super keen. Punters have finite income to be able to see everyone Mm -hmm. and also finite time to be able to see the 10 bands they want playing in the same town they want on the same night. Yeah. So it's, it's like a tricky balance because you're sort of like hedging your bets that your fans will come to your show and unless they're a super fan, they could be going somewhere else with a competitor the same night. But, I, you know, that's just going to be more and more as we open up just because everyone's just rearing a go. And then I think the dust will settle by, you know, December next year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I just don't know if it's going to be exactly the same as what it was, to be honest. From a manager's perspective, I'm very curious to see obviously how vaccines will go in regards to shows and punters going and how much that will affect the uptake of shows um if at all um but then also I'm really curious to see how the next six months will go for local live music and bands really backing it and then how quickly punters will just leave that whole support system um once yeah. international bands come in um and you know yeah, they get tired of seeing the same you know, bands they to. Yeah. yeah and then also, also you know, actually I, yeah, yeah. Mm, go on Sorry. No, we interrupted each other. (laughs) I was just going to say about that, like all of the rescheduling for the tours and stuff that every agency has, a lot of the shows are already sold out. So new fans can't see the bands unless people are returning tickets or they have more shows down the line. So that's also like tough to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think you make an incredibly good point about that, even just for local bands, like Bad Juju, their um, show that we just announced um, for December, that is that dual single, um, because the venue has to sell a certain capacity due to the current restrictions, that was sold out before we even announced it, because the show was sold out several months ago (laughs) and people are like oh um we want tickets because now we're interested and we don't think we're going to be doing anything in December how can we get them and we're like we just have to sort of wait until refunds come back and then hope that you have a ticket um but yeah yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting in regards to those bands next year that find themselves in this growing space for their live show and then finding themselves possibly having a bit of a step back um, from their live shows because people are going to be more invested in buying those more expensive tickets for those those international artists that are touring or whatever it's going to be Um, and I think already that's affected my strategies with my clients in regards to what we release and when um, because you don't want to be releasing like your best body of work, like a debut album, yeah. <laughs> um, like at the start of next year, because it's just such a hard ecosystem and you just don't know what will happen and when and how and got to love a, a good uh, lockdown to throw <laughs> the spanner in the, <laughs> in the works for any promotion really. Yeah. Um, 
So because you can't be quiet either. Because if you're quiet, then you get forgotten about. But you know, exactly. It's it's there's a strategy for every approach, and it's just you have to figure out what the right strategy is for you. And if you can't figure that out, then I don't blame you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like this is the music industry currently. Welcome, take a seat. We're all watching with popcorn trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And I think that actually is such a good analogy because, you know, further on that it's sort of like, oh, somebody's getting up on stage to see how they can make this work. Okay, let's see how they go. <laughs> yeah, see, crashes and burns. Yeah. Hopefully no one, but, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was successful, but was it successful enough? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, it's always like looking for the, the next tier up, but you don't even know where you can land initially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Um. Well, my last question is... One question that I always ask at the end of every episode, um, and it's actually a, a question that I ask a lot of my clients as a bit of a strategy to get them thinking about their career. Um, but okay. it is, yeah, you're like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is when you are 80 years old and you're sitting in the nursing home and you're chatting to the, you know, Marge next to you. <laughs> Hopefully with all your- I can't believe there's a person my age called March. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I know. That's what I thought then too. Um, as I was saying, I was like, oh, uh, Kelsey next to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you hoping that you can brag to her about in your old age, like in, in your ideal world? I don't know because it's sort of like you can go one of two ways, really. You can go oh, yeah, I booked a band that sold out a million tickets or whatever on one show. But to me, that's sort of a a team achievement. Mm. That's not necessarily, like, you can brag about it, but that's a team achievement. You're like, it's not just me who did it. It's the band for one being the band. It's me for working with them. It's the PR, the management, whatever. And also Marge slash Kelsey may have no bloody idea about the music industry anyway. I don't know. <laughs> I love I how much I'm like thinking into this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope, I hope like maybe the best way to go about it would be, you know, you want to brag about obviously your accomplishments and stuff career-wise, but I think if you can say that you've worked to the best of your ability, mm. you've constantly tried to improve wherever you know that you can, and you've also just worked with people that you really, really love. I think they're the top three things that I would, you know, brag to old Marge slash Kels about, um, you know, chew your off and make her fall asleep bragging about that. <laughs> I loved that answer. That was great. I think you're completely right. Um, I come from a similar perspective on life as sort of if you can go through life knowing that you've challenged yourself and that you've learned from it and that you've become the best person that you feel like you could have been or close to um Mm. like that's that's a win at life really yeah I will say it's definitely easier said than done especially in COVID times but um it's definitely something that's achievable for everybody I think which is also probably why it's good (laughs) (laughs) no one's perfect everyone can improve (laughs) 
<laughs> that's right. Exactly. And everybody struggles and that's okay. It's just mm. how you adapt to it, which um, I feel like is the epitome of COVID right now. Or lockdown. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's like, I'm just adapting. It's fine. I was, I was crying earlier today, but right now I'm laughing. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> So you don't laugh you cry so you gotta do both I guess <laughs> amen and now I have a full day well thank you so much Vienna for joining the podcast this was such a interesting chat and I definitely think we should get you on the podcast again soon to chat I think even just um looking at you know in the next two years what that actually has looked like now and what were the trends that we found and where is it going it's obviously such a changing industry um across so many aspects but booking is uh, going to be such a wild ride in the next two to five years. He's hoping an upwards trajectory. (laughs) Yes, all up now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you again. And um, thank you so much for having me. It's been real. (laughs) Hopefully we could do this in person next time.